Thanks for listening to the Campus Collective Podcast. As always, we pray that this resource is a helpful supplement for you as a follower of Jesus and as an active member in your local church. We love God's design for His church, and we believe that this resource could never substitute the incredible things that come from active involvement with a community of believers. Campus Collective is a ministry of Huntington Community Church. To learn more, visit our website at HuntingtonCommunityChurch.com. All right, my name is Michael Loveday, and I'm on staff here with Campus Collective. Also, I am the director of Student Collective, which is our youth ministry with HCC. Um, I'm really excited to be here with you tonight, getting to dive into God's Word, getting to look at Hebrews 3, 7 through 19. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. But also, I'm very nervous to be up here. Um, I think of myself as an extrovert and very high energy, but this terrifies me. And the only other thing that does that is dancing. You can ask my wife. I don't dance at weddings. Every time we photograph one, I stand there in the corner awkwardly with a camera. So this makes me nervous. But I wanted to start a little bit differently tonight, and I wanted to share my testimony. I think it's important for you all to know a little bit who I am, how I was before Christ, how God transformed me, and now what I'm doing now. Um, And I think it ties together pretty well just seeing how my heart was hardened towards God. Okay? So growing up in the church, I went to a Nazarene church. Actually, I went with Royce Bradley in the back who married Jake Bradley, and she will be able to testify to a lot of stuff that I'm about to tell you. Um, I was a wild child. I could not focus in church. Sunday school, I could not pay attention unless I had a crayon and some colored pencils or something in front of me. Her parents were my Sunday school teachers, but I was all over the place. So, but I went to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. I felt like I was born in that church. Um, My dad was a Sunday school teacher. But my theology of salvation was very messed up. Um, I believe that I had to do this or be good or to read my Bible or live this certain way to be able to have salvation. Completely diminishing what the gospel is. Completely diminishing that if I repent of my sin, believe in Jesus, that's what gets me into eternity with Jesus, uh, in heaven. But it wasn't until probably about my freshman year of high school that I started to see that the way that I was living my life wasn't it, that I didn't truly believe in God. My freshman year of high school, my, fa- uh, my mom's dad uh, got very sick. And I remember very vividly that my mom and dad rushed to the hospital to see my grandfather because it was looking like he wasn't going to make it. And I remember that night that I prayed to God, Lord, if you say who you are, Lord, don't take him. He was my best friend. He taught me a lot about football along with my dad and my uncle. He invested in my life. He toughened me up, even though I think I'm not tough at all. But he he invested in me. And I prayed to God, Lord, don't take him. If you say who you are, please give him just a little bit longer. And then shortly after that, my dad came back home, and he broke the news to us that he died. Um, I was devastated. I was crushed. This was the first death in our family, and I didn't know how to handle it. And all I could think of is, God, how could you do this? I hardened my heart to God. I rebelled, and I for what felt like forever, but it was only a year and a half, I hardened my heart and sinned and lived a life of unbelief. And it wasn't until at the end of my sophomore year, whenever I quit football, I felt the Lord tugging me more towards him. 
I invested more time with the youth. I got discipled by my youth pastor. I went to these conferences. And in that conference, the speaker was talking through John 3.16. And for those of you that don't know it, it's for God's love of the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But he was specifically talking about that believe is more than just believe, it's trust. And I was not believing. I was not trusting God with my life. I knew of God, and that's what I thought all I had to do was to get into heaven, was to know God. But I did not have a relationship with him. I just knew him. It was that night that I surrendered my life to God on July 8th, 2009. And ever since then, God has been opening doors for me to continue to serve and see where he is working so I can join in. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm serving in the youth ministry. That's why I'm serving and up here right now with Campus Collective. Um, and I feel like this is super important for me to share my story so we can see the rest that we can have in Jesus Christ through his salvation, but also for me to share that my heart was hardened towards him, that I was an unbeliever, I was filled with bitterness and sin, and this passage tonight is going to look at that. Hebrews 3, 7 through 19 talks a lot about the hardening of hearts that the Israelites had in Egypt. And this is a very encouraging passage, but a very heavy warning for us to endure in the faith and to exhort us against hardening our hearts. And tonight we're going to be looking back in the Old Testament, seeing the model of the Israelites of what we should not do in our faith, and then also seeing the New Testament, what we should be doing in our faith. And the believers in the New Testament will show us how to focus around the idea that through faith we have rest. But maybe you're here tonight, and you're going through something right now, and it's causing you to reject God or live in rebellion in a sinful relationship. Maybe you're questioning God because of something going on in your life, or maybe you're just here and you just don't flat out believe. Maybe you're just here for the snacks. I don't know what the snacks are, but I'm sure they're going to be great. But maybe you're here just to see your friends and hang out with them. And I get it. I was there. In high school, that was the exact same person that I was. I went to the youth group. I put on a fake face and thought that I was doing what I needed to do. But hardening your heart will not help you. Not believing in him or casting him out will not help you. The only thing that will help is believing and relying on him more during that time of difficulty and resting your faith in him. Knowing that Jesus died in our place, giving his life so we have life and rest in him. And what I want us to understand tonight, if you want to write this down, this is kind of like the main idea of what I'm going to try to get across is we have to be careful to not harden our hearts in rebellion against God, but to take care and exhort one another in faith to share in God's rest. And to get to that main idea, we're going to cover three points. The warning against hardening our hearts, the call to take care and endure, and the result of a hardened heart. And my prayer for us tonight is that we would see God speaking through his word, that we would be able to listen and obey what he is saying, and honestly, that he would soften our hearts and break our hearts for what breaks his. But we honestly do have a lot to talk about, so let's just go ahead and dive in. We're going to be in Hebrews 3, 7 through 19. And it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your father put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked for that, with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, 
least there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard the heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest but those who were disobedient? So we see that you, they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Would you pray with me? See, Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray um, for your guidance tonight, that you would speak to us through your word that you would see us for who we are and where we are at, and Lord, shape us and mold us to follow you. Soften our hearts tonight. Help us to see what you are saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I go any further, I want us to understand two things. And I think these are very important things. I don't want to rush through them because a lot of this passage is focused around these two ideas. This passage is themed around the words hardened hearts and rest. And we see the words hardened or heart repeated five times, and the word rest repeated twice. And the fact that hardened hearts, or the idea of it, is repeated five times shows the importance and the warning that the author is trying to get across. Hardening your heart is the idea of a sinful rebellion to God, bitterness towards God, or an unbelief towards God. People can harden their hearts in uh, many ways through sinful disobedience and rebellion and bitterness due uh, due to a circumstance or just sheer willpower. For example, in the, in the Bible, you'll see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that people will, bitter, uh, will harden their hearts even though the Lord provides and shows his greatness and his glory. We see this to be true in the New Testament whenever you look at the Pharisees and in the Old Testament, like the Israelites in the book of Exodus. But this idea of rest is only obtained through belief and faith in Christ. But rest here can be viewed in two different ways in this passage, as contextually and typologically. Contextually, rest is referring to the land promised beyond the Jordan. But typologically is a foreshadowing of the future rest of the new creation, which is meaning the future glory that we will have with Christ. But what does the rest look like now? We know the then. We know that the then is walking with Christ in heaven, seeing the full magnitude of his glory. No more sin, no more pain, no more suffering. But for the now, we can see rest as peace and comfort that the Lord is with us through his Holy Spirit, his guidance, his grace that he shows us, and the victory that we have through him. But now that we're on the same page, I love the way that the author starts in verse 7. He says, Therefore, as the Spirit says, the Holy Spirit, or the author in this book, does something absolutely incredible with this introductory clause. He prefaces the quote in Psalms that we are about to see is through the Holy Spirit. This is huge, and I don't want to sidestep this because what he is affirming is the divine inspiration of Scripture. When he says the Holy Spirit says, this statement accomplishes two things. First, it affirms that God is the author of Scripture. We see that when Scripture speaks, God speaks. That when we hear, read, study, or sing Scripture, we can confidently know that God is speaking to us. Second, it affirms the living character of Scripture. Notice how the author uses tenses. 
He does not say that the Holy Spirit said, but he uses the present tense, says. Saying that every time that we, showing that every time that we open God's word, the Spirit is speaking and he is living. And we'll see this to be even more true next week in Hebrews 4, uh, 12, where it says, For the word of God is a living and effective, or living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. So what we are reading today is from the Spirit, warning us and encouraging us and pushing us to be more like Christ through his word. The author continues with these words of the Spirit, quoting Psalms, 80, or Psalms 95, 7 through 11. He continues and says, Today, if you hear his voice, that's the end of verse 7, but in verse 8 he says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my work for 40 years. The author here is getting us to see the urgency of what he is talking about. He says today. He's not talking about tomorrow. He's not talking about next week or whenever you are good and ready. He is saying today. But what and who is he talking about in verses 8 and 9? He says the words rebellion in the day of the testing in the wilderness, fathers, 40 years. And this is why I love that the Spirit points us through God's word, causing us to study every single bit of it. So let's look back. Let's look back to understand what, God, uh, what the author is actually talking about whenever he says hardening, hardening of hearts and rebellion. And you don't have to turn there. We're going to be going through the book of Exodus. Um, not the whole book, but we're going to be looking through the book of Exodus. Um, and I love this book. I love studying it. I love seeing how God shows us his provision, his patience, his wrath, the hope that we have in him, seeing that Christ is the Passover lamb whose blood was sprinkled on the doorpost of our hearts so that we can escape the bonds of slavery. And although this hardening of hearts and the rebellion happened in the wilderness, we have to understand what happened before this situation. And seeing the magnitude of the rebellion and the sin that the Israelites were in in this story. The people in the book of Exodus were escaping Egypt by God working through Moses. When they were, pursuing, or they were being pursued by the Egyptians after the plagues and after the Passover meal, they came to the Red Sea and had to cross it before they entered into the wilderness. At the crossing of the Red Sea, it seemed like all hope was lost. The Egyptians were pursuing them with horses, with chariots, with swords, and it surely looked like the Israelites were going to die. This is where the Israelites started grumbling, hardening their hearts, and living in rebellion against God, questioning him. Exodus 14 says this in verses 11 and 12. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Have you done to us, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. He continues even more in chapter 16. And the whole congregation of people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us, kill this whole assembly with hunger. And in chapter 17, he says, But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses said, and said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us, our children and our livestock, livestock with thirst? Even after all the Lord did, the miracles that he performed, the outstanding things that they saw that he, in showing that he is God, they still rebelled and questioned him. 
He parted the sea, which is a massive body of water. Later, he provided bread in the wilderness when there was nothing around. And he did this until they were full. And he did this for multiple days. He even provided water for them over and over again, but they rebelled. They questioned, they tested, and they hardened their hearts against God. The people desired to live in unbelief and desired to go back in slavery and punishment instead of trusting God and entering into his rest. They failed the testing that the Lord was putting them through. This is what the author of Hebrews is talking about in verses 8 and 9 in chapter 3. The author shows his audience why Israel failed to enter God's rest. The forefathers, the people of the Old Testament, failed to keep their hearts God-oriented. Though they saw the works of God, they continued to put God to the test and rebelled against him. And this is something that we see repeated over and over again in Scripture. Shoot, this is something that we see in our lives today. Maybe you've shared the gospel with certain people in your life, but they still continue to rebel. Maybe that's you in this room. Maybe you have heard the gospel before, but you continue to live a life separated from Christ. And this is something that Hebrews 3, 10 through 11 shows that cannot go unchecked. That there is a punishment for this way of living. And this is, a, this is scary and should be a huge warning and wake-up call for us. Because this is what it says. It says, therefore. So when every time you see therefore, it tells us to look back. So everything that we just talked about in Exodus, in the beginning section from 7 through 9, this is the result of what will happen if you do these things. He continues, he says, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. God was provoked. The loving, patient, kind, compassionate father was provoked by that generation in the way that they were living. Israel presumed and took advantage of God and his kindness. God preserved them, provided for them for 40 years, delivered them and kept them alive, yet they tested and grumbled against God. This is incredibly scary. This is something that is going to happen for those that do not walk and believe in God. And we should be terrified for our loved ones, our friends, the people in our life that do not know the Father. Because just as he did for the people of Israel, God will shut out from rest anyone who rebels, walks in unfaithfulness, and takes advantage of God's grace. We have to believe. We have to put our faith in him. We are hopeless and doomed without the gracious gift God provided through his son, Jesus Christ. If you're in this room tonight and do not believe, please understand you will face the wrath of of a loving and jealous God and will not enter his rest. But if you're in this room tonight and you believe, that's incredible. And I'm so thankful for that. But we have to remember and reflect on these things to not live in a rebellion uh, and live separate from God like the people of Israel did. Take urgency for today. Know and remember what Christ has done by taking your place on the cross, dying for your sins, and being the perfect sacrifice and payment so you may have his rest. This is exactly what the author is telling us in this next section. So in verse 12, it says, Take care, brothers. Least there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. We see the author is speaking to believers here because he uses the word brothers. He warns them and he encourages them to take care. And when he says these words, take care, he, the author is telling us and them to take action. Not to just sit there and let evil creep in and cause our hearts to be hardened. 
If we look back even like a little bit further in the New Testament or back, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, where it talks about the armor of God. There it talks about being strong in the Lord and being strengthened by his might. And at the end it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand firm. There is a reason that we need to take action, to take care, putting on the armor of God. It's because we are in constant battle every day to fight for our relationship with God, to fight against evil that can harden our hearts, to lead us away from the living God. But how do we combat and fight against an evil, unbelieving heart? Verse 13 tells us, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are to exhort. Another word for exhort is to encourage. So we are to encourage one another every day. We have to be intentional with our time and encourage and challenge believers to keep them accountable in their relationship with God. This is why here at HCC and Campus Collective, we do not, and we push that this tonight, this gathering that we are at right now, does not replace the local church. We are a ministry from that church. We want you to be in community with believers. We want you to serve on Sunday mornings. We want you to be poured into and encouraged and pushed to further your relationship with God and to grow in your love with Him. This is also why we push D groups and community groups. We need that accountability. We need the body of believers in the church to exhort us to be more like Christ and to challenge us in our unbelief. I have this in my life right now. Everybody that is on staff and campus collective here has that in their life right now. For example, in my life, I struggle with money. I struggle with idolizing it. I struggle with worrying, thinking about where is the money going to come from? How am I going to provide for my family? To the point where it's, it's sin. But the church calls me out on that. I have specific people in my life that know exactly what I am walking through, what I struggle with, and they call me out on it. They help me to see my unbelief and to realign my way of thinking, to trust in God, and to see that he is the one that has always provided for me and for my family. And if you're in this room tonight and you don't have a church, we encourage you to be part of one. Our church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. We would love for you to be here. We would love to worship with you. But there might be some of you in this room tonight that think, nah, I'm good. I'll just stick with Tuesday nights. I won't get plugged in. I'll just do this by myself. You can't. We are not meant to walk alone in our relationship with God. That is the importance of the body of believers. Look at what Paul says in Colossians 3.16. It'll be on the screen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul is speaking of community, encouragement, and accountability. Just like the author of Hebrews is saying, Paul says one another, plural. We are to walk with each other, not alone. That's how we fight a hardened heart. Do we understand that? This is huge and a beautiful remedy because the outcome of a hardened heart is unbelief. Hard hearts do not recognize or accept the desperate need for a Savior. This is why we push community group, D groups, fellowship, worship, Sunday mornings so much. We want to remember the gospel, that it was our sin that separated us from Christ, 
But because of his grace, we have been saved by the payment of his blood and body in our place. We desperately need a savior. And please, I hope you see that. And the next verse is so beautiful. If we encourage one another and fight and preserve in our faith in God, look what it says. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This is huge. We get to share in Christ. But what does that mean? Well, in the now, believing in him, dying to ourself, we share in him, we know him, we have the Holy Spirit in us, guiding us, and growing our relationship with him. But the then is so much more. We are walking with him in future glory. We are seeing him in heaven, and we have eternal rest with him. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing that we get to rest in as long as we hold to our original confidence. But what is that original confidence? I could easily say, believing in the gospel, that Christ came fully man, fully God, and he lived a sinless life and took our punishment, pain, and death on the cross. Paying the perfect payment by his blood that we could never pay because of our sin, that he defeated death, and because of him, and believing and trusting in him, we have eternal life and rest in him. Which, I don't think that that is a bad answer. Actually, I think that's really good. Um, But what Dustin said last week, about original confidence, I think was so beautiful. And I'm just going to quote what he said and paraphrase it, because what he said was really long. But um, in chapter 1, he says this. In chapter 1 in Hebrews, we see, have the word in text and the word in flesh, the person, the work of Jesus Christ that fulfills the word in text. Another reality in chapter 1, we saw that Jesus is king, our savior king that has redeemed us from sin our warrior king that has defeated our enemies, and our savior warrior king that did all that was necessary to bring us into his kingdom and on his mission. Chapter 2 introduces this idea that the king's message is reliable and we cannot neglect it. More in chapter 2, the world to come is more of Jesus' kingdom that that the kingdom of God broke in with the king coming to earth in his death and resurrection, unleashing his followers to live out that kingdom in word and in action. As we do that, we know that the brokenness will end one day because of the kingdom will come in full ending, all suffering and sin. More from chapter 2, Jesus perfectly lived and died and rose again. Jesus' perfect active obedience made him the perfect sacrifice to bring us back to God by grace through faith. And lastly, Jesus is our great high priest. He is the one that destroyed the devil, destroyed death, delivered us from the fear of death, knows our temptations, offers us help by the Spirit and his word, and all of this gives us grounding for considering Jesus. We have to hold and encourage one another in this confidence. That confidence is simply and beautifully Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you don't believe that, or you think that you have so much going on in your life, or you aren't good enough because of the sin, or the way that your heart is, that is a lie from the devil. Jesus wants you as you are, giving your life to him, casting your burdens on him, and letting him mold you and shape you in his character. And this is what the author is trying to get the believers in this text to see and understand, to hold firm to this. He wants it so badly that he gives it one more shot to encourage him, 
verses 15 through 19 says, As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And I want to invite the band to come back up as we continue to wrap this up. But the author gives us one more attempt to get the believers in this passage and to get us to see that if we harden our hearts and live in rebellion with an unbelieving heart, we will not share in Christ. We will not share in his rest. In the words that were repeated from the beginning of this section all the way into now, we see that they heard and they rebelled. They were provoked, they provoked and they sinned and they were disobedient. This should be a very heavy thing that weighs on our soul as believers or even as unbelievers in this room. Because verse 18 says, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? The unbelievers, people that harden their hearts. And to live this life separated from him means you will live eternity separated from him. The author, I believe here, is not trying to scare his audience or scare us, but trying to get us to see the magnitude of our sin and the ending outcome if our hearts are hardened. But this does not have to be the end of the story. This does not have to be your outcome. The author says we are not able to enter because of unbelief. But if we believe and realize the hope that we have through Christ and his payment for our sin, preserving our faith in him, fighting for it, we can have rest in him. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your son. I thank you for the grace and the mercy that you show us that we do not deserve. Lord, I thank you for the rest that you have provided for us through your son. Lord, if there, if there is anybody in this room that's heart is hardened in unbelief and sin, Lord, I pray that you would soften it, that they would see the urgency of today, the urgency of believing in you. Father, as we continue this time of worship, I pray that you would speak to us, show us who you are. Lord, just help us to glorify you as the night goes on. In Jesus' name we pray.